0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I will be your charming, ruggedly handsome host today. I am excited to be here with you guys. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a current event. We're going to be talking about the recent breaking of a nuclear arms treaty by both the United States and Russia. Uh, We'll get into that in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to mention a couple of quick things. Uh, First, I'm going to be playing around with the format of the show a little bit today. I've seen a lot of other podcasts that do this thing where they they talk for 15, 20 minutes, maybe even less, have a short break, 30, 60 seconds, and then get into it a second segment. And so I'm going to be trying that uh, today. The first half, we're going to be talking a little bit about the history of this treaty, also a couple other nuclear treaties, and then we're going to take a short break. I'll do like a 60 second commercial and then we'll come back. And then after the commercial break, uh, we'll do like a little analysis of what's going on today. We'll talk about that and kind of what this might mean going forward as well. This is just me testing out a few formats and just seeing what I like. If you have a, a strong feeling one way or the other, you listen to today's episode. You really like how it's broken up like that, or if you really dislike it and you prefer you know one long show that goes you know thirty minutes or so instead. You let me know. Hit me up on Twitter or something. Just let me know if you like it. If you don't, um, I'll be playing with this format a little bit, probably at least over the next couple of weeks, and just seeing how I like it as well. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, we're going to be talking, as I said today, about nuclear arms treaties because there was a recent one that was uh, broken by by the United States first and then by Russia just last week. So let's start talking a little bit about this in general and some of the history of here. So arms control is a huge issue in international relations. It's um, essentially it's this idea of like restricting either the development, the production, the proliferation, the usage, uh, the stockpiling of weaponry. Now, usually we're talking here about uh, weapons of mass destruction. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But it could apply to small arms, conventional weaponry as well. And there's frequently been a lot of Treaties that govern the usage of such weapons. Uh, we have the nuclear ones we're going to be talking about today, but there's also ones that govern things like chemical weapons. There's a couple of biological weapons. The Biological Weapons Convention, uh, the Geneva Protocol. You're probably all familiar with breaking the Geneva Convention. That's one of one of these type of weapons uh, treaties. There's also some more general ones. Geneva also covers some of those. There's some on delivery systems. There was a like a code of conduct that was passed a while back against ballistic missile proliferation. I think that was back in like 01 or 02, something like that. But we're going to be focusing on nuclear weapons today. So the first treaty I want to talk about is one that I've actually mentioned on here before. We've talked about uh, the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons. I did a whole thing on nuclear weapons. Oh man, it's been Probably been several months now. It was one of the first episodes I think I did where we talk about the NPT treaty, the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, non-proliferation treaty NPT. And so this was an international treaty that was put into place. Well, it it was negotiated back in like the 1960s, but it was entered into force I believe in 1970. And so the treaty was then ultimately. Uh, renegotiated a little bit, and agreed to extend it indefinitely. It was originally supposed to be only 25 years, but then it was uh, back in the 90s, they agreed to extend it indefinitely. So this is a treaty about the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And by that, I mean the spread. So proliferation means spread. And the idea here is that they wanted to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons, and they actually had three pillars in this first treaty. Uh, it was the, the first sorry the first pillar was non proliferation. So that's the idea of nuclear weapon states agreeing not to uh, share their their knowledge, not to transfer nuclear weapons or any sort of n- nuclear devices to any other recipients, or to help you know encourage or anything else any non nuclear state in gaining n- nuclear weapons. And so they had five states that were recognized by the NPT as nuclear weapon states: China, France, uh, the Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And so these are the five members. You also have the fi- they're the five members of the uh, UN Security Council, uh, not ironically. Um, and these five basically agreed not to share or help or transfer any of their knowledge to other countries. This also then would be. If you were, say, a a non-nuclear weapon state and you sign on to this, you are agreeing and you're accepting this kind of pledge that you will not acquire nuclear weapons. And if you have a nuclear program of any sort, it's to verify that your nuclear activities are only serving peaceful purposes. So that's the first pillar. It's uh, non-proliferation. The second pillar is disarmament. And so a lot of people don't realize this. But the art, uh, article six of the NPT basically says that all parties involved agree to undertake uh, some sort of good faith negotiation uh, in regards to nuclear disarmament. And actually, uh, a lot of people don't realize this as as well, but it it actually implies that they should be seeking ultimately like way down the road, complete disarmament. Uh, now obviously that one, it's it's worded kind of strangely, uh, it's very vague and so it's it depends how you read it, and that's why we actually haven't really seen too many states move in that direction. But it's this idea that there's some sort of good faith, i say obligation, to move in that direction if, if possible. So disarmament is the second pillar. The third and final pillar of the NPT is the idea of the peaceful use of nuclear energy. And so it's, it's basically this, the last part is this um, re- reaffirmation that all parties have the right to develop nuclear energy for peaceful purposes, you know, to benefit their economies or their communities or whatever, to use nuclear energy in that capacity. And so it's basically just reaffirming that right. Um, And and also then to to benefit from international cooperation too, so that countries, say the United States, can help other non-nuclear powers obtain nuclear energy for again, for peaceful purposes. So that's the third pillar. Now again, this treaty has been around since 1970 officially. Some countries didn't sign on until much later, um, but there are 190 countries or parties that are um, that, that have signed this treaty. Now there are a handful of countries that are not part of the treaty. There are a few that never signed it. There's India and Pakistan. Famously, they, they are two nuclear powers. They're actually the only nuclear powers that have ever fought after gaining nuclear powers. Thankfully, they didn't use those weapons, but they did fight uh, in the 1999 Cargill War. That's K-A-R-G-I-L. Uh, you also have Israel. Uh, Israel has famously not signed on the treaty. Interestingly, they had actually never acknowledge, like, formally acknowledged having nuclear weapons, but pretty much everybody assumes they do. It's, it's thought they actually have several. Um, it's very unlikely that they wouldn't at this point, but they, they've never formally acknowledged that. So that's Israel. Uh, there's a country called South Sudan. They have not signed on. Their reasoning is a little bit different. They have not signed on, mostly because they're the, n- the newest country in the world. They just haven't had a chance to get around to it yet. It's, it's thought they will eventually. And then there's North Korea. North Korea is an interesting case because they actually did sign on to the treaty at one point, And then they backed out of the treaty. And as we all know, they have been testing nuclear weapons. They're the only country that actually tested nuclear like full nuclear weapons in the 21st century. And so they have backed out of their commitment to this treaty and, and taken their name off the, the signature list. So that's that's the NPT treaty. It's the most famous. Honestly, as a treaty, it doesn't have a lot in the way of enforcement mechanisms. You know, North Korea obviously backed out and didn't suffer a whole lot in the way of punishment. Some individual states would slap sanctions and things on it, but the treaty itself can't really stop. The proliferation of nuclear weapons, but it is a very strong symbol to the international community of your commitment to do to do so. Uh, there's also some concerns about this treaty because obviously that second pillar is all about nuclear disarmament, and yet the five you know authorized nuclear weapon states still have something like twenty 000 to twenty-five thousand nuclear warheads in their combined stockpile, and they, there hasn't really been much in the way of efforts to to minimize those over time either. But that's the, the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, or if you ever hear it called the NPT Treaty. There are pl- plenty of others out there as well. There was a treaty called the Nuclear Weapon Ban Treaty. This is actually a relatively new one, just signed back in, let uh, see, I think it was September of 2017. And it basically is was the first legally binding agreement to kind of comprehensively prohibit nuclear weapons, However, this treaty is much, much smaller. And in fact, all of the countries that have nuclear weapons have refused to sign it, or they chose not to vote on it when it was brought before the United Nations. Uh, There are 70 signatories around the world. There's 21 of those signatories uh, that are what you would consider like a party to it. They have ratified it. But mostly these countries we're talking about are across South America, Africa, and kind of Southeast Asia. Uh, And so countries like the United States most of the countries across Europe. In fact, I don't think any uh, NATO member except the Netherlands even voted on it. They they chose to pretty much ignore it or abstain from it. And then you have Russia, China, some of the other major nuclear powers, India, Pakistan, etc., that basically ignored it as well and just chose not to vote. They, they didn't officially abstain, I believe, like putting their name on the record as an abstention, but they just didn't vote. Uh, so this is a a, a brand new one, just came out a little over well, almost a year and a half ago now, but for the nations that are party to it, you know it prohibits development, testing, production, stockpiling, use, or threatening to use nuclear weapons. Uh, assisting in the in those activities, encouraging those activities, etc., and they've tried to get other countries involved in it. And like I said, they're up to I think 70 signatories now, but most of the countries in the world are not signatory to this. So it's not in force yet. It's not effective, uh, but it was a a treaty that was signed by 70 ratified by I think 21 or so now in order for it to actually come into any sort of effect that would require even even the signatories to actually do something about it you'd have to get to 50 countries to that have ratified it so even the countries that have signed it are not technically bound to it yet until you get to that 50 mark Uh, but it is kind of interesting because it's the first legally binding international agreement that just comprehensively across the board prohibits nuclear weapons. Uh, the NPT obviously bans certain aspects of it, but it also allows other aspects too. So this is the first big one like that. Again, because so many or so few countries have actually done anything about it, it's not in effect, but it was kind of an interesting recent addition uh, to the pantheon of nuclear weapons treaties. Another one I want to touch on was something called the START, Program actually the there's several of these start S T A R T it's actually an acronym means Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty and there was a brand new one that there's been several over the years but there was a brand new one so it's called New Start I know they're not super creative with names uh, but it was signed back in 2010 in Prague and the idea here was it was a specific treaty between the United States and the Russia uh, the Russian Federation on you know measures for further reducing or limiting uh, certain types of strategic arms, and so mostly what they're talking about here are certain types of nuclear missile launchers. Uh, so they're they're not necessarily banning nuclear weapons, but they're not limiting the number of you know stockpiled war, stockpiled warheads. But they have cut back on some of the ways that you might deliver these so missile launches. Uh, there's there's a, like a new inspection and verification protocol that's going into place. Oh, and further, too, I should mention, too, it also limits the number of deployed nuclear warheads. It doesn't limit the the total number that you might have, but it does limit kind of the number that you're allowed to have deployed. But again, this is something that's relatively new. It's, it's a successor to ones that have come from before. Didn't actually go into play until 2011. It'll actually expire, interestingly, in about, a, let's see, About two years i think it expires in 2021 so we'll be very curious to see what goes forward from there um this is actually one of those one of those treaties that uh our current president donald trump has has really attacked and gone after he he claimed it was one of several bad deals i'm quoting him here one of several bad deals negotiated by the obama administration so he's not happy with how it played out but it actually, like I said, it it will actually expire in about two years. So if Trump is still in power, if he wins his second election, he will be the one negotiating any further deal. So it will be very interesting to kind of see where this goes. Again, very, very limited. It's really only about certain types of strategic areas that are limited, particularly missile launchers is kind of the big one, um, and then deployed weapons. But, it is kind of an interesting one. We see a lot of these kind of smaller, especially more like one-on-one or regional treaties on weapons. You do see some of those. You don't see too many of the the big major ones like like NPT. Uh, the last one I want to touch on is the one that's been in the news just recently, and this was it's called the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Sometimes you'll hear it called the INF Treaty. Uh, I, I think the formal name is something much longer, but this is a it was this was a treaty that was put into place it was signed in 1987 in December between the United States uh, and our current president at the time was Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. Now, so this was actually before the Soviet Union fell, before it became Russia. Uh, but the treaty was ratified in 1988, came into it pl- came into force a couple of months after that. So I think we're talking like summer of 1988. And the idea here, and this the reason it's been in the news recently is it's it's focusing on the intermediate-range missiles. So it doesn't cover some of the longer-range ones, it's not the short-term ones. It's It eliminates all kind of land-based ballistic missiles, as well as their launchers, uh, with, with a very specific range. So anything from 500 to uh, 1,000 kilometers, which are considered kind of short-medium range. And then you have the ones that are 1,000 kilometers to uh, 5,500 kilometers, which are considered the intermediate range. Now, it only covers land-based, it doesn't cover any you know, sea-launched missiles from submarines, which actually a lot of our missiles are now. Uh, actually, a large chunk of our nuclear weapons are loaded on submarines because they're so hard to track, so you can't really know where they are at any one point. It's very, very difficult. But it also doesn't cover air missiles as well, so launched from planes and things like that, so any sort of land-based ones. Now, these are as I said, intermediate range, so they're not actually capable of reaching the United States from Russia and vice versa. They would... I believe it, the best, if they kind of went over the top of the globe, they reached kind of northern Canada. Um, but they, they would not be able to reach the United States. So they're not directly threatening to us from the Russian mainland. But the reason that we've actually had such a problem with this treaty recently is because we've actually accused Russia of not abiding by it. They have actually broken the treaty. They're refusing to adhere to the the principles that were agreed to originally. And Russia has actually accused us of that on a couple of occasions as well. But we will actually talk about that on the other side of the 60-second break. So we're going to play one little commercial. So stick with me, and I'll be back with you guys in just about a minute. See you soon. Hey, guys. Welcome back. After that short commercial break, this is your charming host again, Justin Kinney. I didn't think that was too bad. But if you have some sort of strong feeling one way or the other about this potential format of breaking it into two segments, please let me know. Hit me up on Twitter or another way. And just let me know what you think. Uh, but with that, let's get back into the topic for today. So before the commercial break, we were talking about the nuclear treaties that exist out there. And the reason we were doing that is because there was one that was recently in the news. And it was that last treaty I talked about, the INF Treaty, or the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. And this was a 1987 agreement between the United States and the then Soviet Union, although it still applies to the current modern, uh, the successor state, Russia, or the Russian Federation, as it's formally called. Now, this treaty is about the kind of intermediate range, as you would think from the title, uh, ballistic and cruise missiles, specifically the ones launched off of land or land-based, so anything from ranges of 500 to 5,500 kilometers. Now, since about 2008, both sides, the United States and Russia, have argued that the opposing side is violating the treaty. Uh, in particular, the U.S. has accused Russia of this many times over the years. And in fact, just in the last few months, this has escalated. And back in October of 2018, so just, what was that, three months ago or so, the United States President, Donald Trump, announced that the United States would be formally withdrawing from the treaty, and he specifically cited uh, Russian noncompliance. Now, in terms of specifics on this, the United States has accused Russia of violating specific treaty terms by one well there's several missiles, but one in particular, which is the SSC-8. It's a cruise missile, and it was tested in 2008. Um, it was a, a land-based, could be sub- submarine-launched, but land-based cruise missile that you could uh, launch a nuclear warhead on. And it was about to kind of go into service... In 2000, or, sorry, in 1987. But when this treaty was signed, you know that kind of put it on the back burner. But uh, U.S. has since accused Russia multiple times of testing this this specific missile: 2008, 2014, 2017, and then in 2013, actually, there has been some reports that Russia was testing two other missiles that also could violate the treaty. There was a it's called the SS-25. It's like a a road Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, or ICBM, and then there's an RS-26 ICBM uh, that both could violate other terms of the treaty as well. Neither one of those are technically considered to be intermediate range. There are others as well. There's the the Novator ground-based missile. The U.S. has argued that that violates the range restrictions for several years as well. Uh, in turn, the uh, the Russian Federation, the Russians have accused the United States of also violating they believe that our decision to deploy our missile defense system in Europe is a violation of the treaty because that puts us closer to them within range and things like that. Uh, they've also argued that the U.S. has used certain types of missiles, uh, such as the MQ-9 Reaper. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple others as well that also violate this treaty. So there have been a lot of, say, alleged violations over the years. Uh, that vary in terms of their evidence. But the United States believes we have some pretty clear evidence that Russia has violated this treaty. And so back in October, Donald Trump announced the intention for the United States to withdraw. Now this in turn prompted Vladimir Putin, the leader of Russia, to claim that Russia would ultimately, and I'm going to use his word here, annihilate any adversary. And so this was part of a kind of a, a back and forth between Trump and Russia back in late 2018 that caused a lot of people to be a little concerned, but it kind of died down a little bit until just recently. And just in the last couple days, uh, both the United States and Russia have formally suspended or pulled out of this nuclear arms treaty on Friday. Mike Pompeo, who's the Secretary of State of the United States, announced that the United States was suspending the treaty. This was, again, this, is, this has been in place since, you know, the, since actually the Cold War in 1987. So it's been in, uh, in place for, you know, 30 years. And Pompeo basically came out and said, you know, it's, it's our duty to respond to these violations. We can't allow Russia to continue, you know, violating the terms of this deal without any sort of repercussions or remorse or anything like that. And he went on to add, too, that you know the United States had provided time for Russia to return to compliance, and they had not, uh, so the United States was officially suspending it. Now, his announcement kicked off a 180-day like a clock that gives us time to completely withdraw from this treaty. It's going to take some time legally to get out of it. Until that time, Russia could return to compliance. It doesn't appear they're going to, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but this was as a years in the making and especially in the last few months has really stepped up. Now, Donald Trump has claimed that the United States fully adheres to the treaty we have for more than 30 years and that we remain constrained by its terms, but basically that Russia is is going behind our backs. They're testing these missiles that violate the treaty and you know basically that we can't be the only this is his quote. We cannot be the only country in the world unilaterally bound by this treaty or by any other. Now, he has hinted that he would be Interested potentially in negotiating a new treaty, but that was kind of vague, and so we're not really sure what's going to happen there. But you know, Russia and the United States are the only two parties to this treaty, but it affects the security of Europe pretty drastically as well. So a lot of countries in Europe are watching this closely because the ground-based missiles that are covered by this this treaty, the the intermediate range, well, they can't necessarily reach the United States yet. They can fly across Europe, and so this is a pretty big concern to European officials. But interestingly, European officials have almost unanimously backed the United States decision. You know, They may not like the fact that this treaty is falling apart, but they, they actually agree with the United States that Russia is violating this and something needed to be done. So they actually do back the United States on this, uh, again, almost universally across Europe. Uh, they pretty much, actually at this point, Europe is mostly accepted that you know there's really no hope that this treaty is going to be saved in the long run. So again, so they they fully support the United States decision. NATO actually came out said, you know, they fully support the US decision because of the threat that Ru- Russia poses to security across Europe and the Atlantic Ocean and you know even to the United States as well. And so Russia now essentially has 6 months to return to kind of full compliance that they can that can be verified in these sorts of things. Now, in return Saturday, Russia announced that they were going to engage in quid pro quo, and they also suspended the nuclear treaty. They're going to abandon this this treaty in response to the United States decision. And so Putin uh, came out and announced that they were going to respond quid pro quo. And he said that he's instructing the military to work on some new land-based weapons that were previously banned by this pact. Uh, so they have pretty much announced that while well, they technically have six months to return to compliance that it really seems unlikely that they will do so and so this has actually sparked some concerns of the possibility of an arms race uh, if you go back during the cold war especially in kind of the height of the cold war countries are building up nuclear arsenals way beyond what was ever necessary it was this, this idea of the arms race whoever had more was was better off even though with the amount that we currently had at the time, you know, you could have destroyed the world many, many times over, and so there is some fear that this might be the start of a new arms race, uh, which will be something to really keep a close eye on. But again, like I said, this treaty was probably being violated anyway, so there's there is some thought that you know what's what's really the point? You know, why do we even bother with the, the charade of this? if it wasn't being adhered to behind the scenes anyway. But it's actually going to be really important because nuclear weapons, as I talked about in the previous podcast, are kind of a unique weapon in the world stage because they are a weapon that whose, whose main purpose is deterrence, not actually attacking. And so in order to come up with a credible but also effective deterrence policy that can still apply to these types of missiles and nuclear weapons, there's going to have to be a lot of talks, uh, including NATO, across Europe, and, and maybe even bringing Russia back into some sort of new deal as well, if at all possible. There's also thought, too, that China might need to be involved on any sort of new treaty. There's been some concerns that China is reaching a level of competition. And so any sort of new treaty that might be passed, you know, instead of completely scrapping this and just going back to, to nothing, you might try to engage China on some sort of like a trilateral basis, United States, Russia, and China, or or a separate treaty as well between the United States and China that would be bilateral there. But the fact that this has kind of been following a, a tit-for-tat response uh, progression is a little bit concerning. Vladimir Putin has announced that he is not going to place any of these missiles, these new ones that he's testing, in Europe, but he would be willing to do so if the United States did. And the reason for that is because one of the main concerns with deterrence, especially when you have something called, it's called the nuclear umbrella, and it's this idea of nuclear weapons in one country actually protecting non-nuclear powers, right? So if you're a country like Montenegro or Serbia or something like this in Europe who doesn't have nuclear weapons on your own, you might be concerned that Russia is going to invade, but you're believe that the nuclear umbrella from the United States or Britain or France would protect you. But the concern here is that this has never really been tested. Is the United States willing to enter a nuclear war over Montenegro being invaded? Or even, let, let's, let's take a, a bigger country, let's take Germany. Is the United States really willing to launch into a nuclear war if, say, Russia bombs Frankfurt? And that is a question that is hotly debated and nobody really understands or really knows what's gonna happen because you know, is the United States willing to get in that war because if the instant we do, then we become targets too. And you know, are we willing to sacrifice our potential citizens, you know, our citizens down the road, potentially, for Frankfurt? You know, are we willing to risk New York City or LA or Seattle or Chicago or any of these other cities to protect Frankfurt? Now, uh, formally, you know, our treaty says we should, but the treaty has never really been tested. And so one of the ways that we have kind of found a workaround on this is by putting nuclear weapons into European countries. This is what we did during the Cold War. And what happened is by putting them in European countries, that raised the stakes, because if, say, Russia or the Soviet Union at the time was, was to invade that country, those nuclear weapons would be put at risk. And therefore, we, the United States, would be put in kind of a a use it or lose it mindset, where we would either lose the weapon to the Soviet Union or be forced to use it. And so it took away a lot of the decision making from Washington DC and put it on the ground, which was, was really important because it established that the United States would be willing, more willing to use nuclear weapons if they were afraid of losing the nuclear weapons, which I think makes some sense. We actually did this during the Cold War. But part of the problem is the United States has been pulling these weapons out of Europe for a while now, and there's not too many countries that would be necessarily willing for us to put them back in. And so it's thought that suspending some of these PACs might actually put those countries at risk again because the, the deterrence factor is not nearly as high without those nuclear weapons positioned in Europe. Now, the United States is, I think, the only country right now, or one of only maybe two countries that actually has our own nukes on foreign soil. I think we have a couple in France, uh, maybe one or two other places as well. But we don't really have them stationed across Europe like we did during the Cold War. And because of that, there is this, again, this, this question gets raised, how strong is this deterrence pact? You know, how strong are these treaties that we have nuclearly because they've never been tested? And this is something that we're going to have to keep a really close eye on going forward because, as Russia is now, they've announced they're going to start developing new missiles. The potential for a, an arms race, particularly a very expensive arms race, would be a pretty huge concern for, in particular, European countries who these previous missiles would not have been able to reach, but now that they're being developed, can, can reach all, pretty much all across Europe. Because these kind of intermediate missiles are very mobile, they're harder to detect than the big ones, uh, they are capable of carrying nuclear warheads, and they can, they can reach these European cities. And because they're so much closer than, say, if Russia launched one at the United States, there will be hardly any warning time, too. So the, the possibility of a massive arms race is something that European countries are very, very concerned with. And so the next steps as this treaty kind of falls apart will be very important. And it's something that uh, Donald Trump, as well as uh, European countries, Vladimir Putin, and potentially even China with their president, Jinping, will be very, they'll have to be very careful with how they go about doing this because the risks are being raised um, small right now, but could be raised substantially if this continues to kind of go down this path. Now, outside of like the policymakers themselves and the leaders, there are a lot of, should we say, officials or, you know, experts in the field on arms control that have expressed some concerns about what's going on. Uh, There's an individual by the name of Lynn Rustin, who's a senior director for arms control and is actually a vice president at this uh, organization called the Nuclear Threat Initiative. And this is a quote, uh, it said, we are heading into a direction we have not been in 40 years. No arms control limits or rules that we are both following, and that is very dangerous. And so a lot of these kind of officials and experts in the field have also kind of expressed some concern that the treaty itself was actually limiting United States technology and advancements, allowing China to catch up, because China is not you know, it's not bound by these, these limits, but also the potential for this to turn into something much greater. So there's some concern on both sides here. Because China was never really a signatory, they were not bound by the same rules. So they have caught up and it's quite possible that we would need some sort of trilateral uh, negotiation if a new treaty was to be put into place. There's a lot of discussion about China, I think, behind the scenes. It's thought that they have you know well over a thousand of these kind of intermediate range missiles. And so any talks going forward would almost certainly have to include them either, again, as part of one big deal or in a separate bilateral deal as well. Now, on Russia's side, they have basically denied any sort of these allegations, and it's quite possible that going forward they're going to use the, the U.S. withdrawal, because we withdrew first, technically, as an excuse to really ramp up their production and to deploy systems elsewhere, and they're going to try to divide NATO. I would highly encourage, if you're, if you're really looking at this, to pay attention to how they they act towards NATO and in the UN as a whole, because they're going to try to divide NATO. They're going to try to blame this on the United States. The United States is trying to like destabilize the international system, and they're going to try to divide the US from Europe and by, by trying to blame this all on Donald Trump, the United States, and some of these allegations that go back e- even before Trump as well through Obama, back to, again, 2008 was probably the first big allegation. And so for Europe, they're going to have to be very careful going forward as to who they're paying attention to here. There's a really bigger picture, you know, in terms of what, what kinds of types of signs and symbols they're sending out, what messages they're sending. And so far, Europe has been very united in this stance alongside the United States. They believe the evidence that Russia has been violating this treaty. And while they do believe that the treaty has been important in the past for European security, as I said, they're pretty much resigned to the fact that it's falling apart, that Russia's violating this, and they're going to need to come up with another solution. And so look very carefully, watch Russia. They're going to try this division tactic, the divide and conquer. They're going to go into NATO. They're going to try to split the United States from the rest of Europe. And so the United States will have to work hard, not only to, to figure out if there's going to be a new treaty between Russia, China and the United States, but also to work on building those relationships with Europe as well. As as Russia is trying to you know assign blame and basically point fingers at the United States, Uh, but with that I think we're going to go ahead and shut down the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I think that was kind of a fun little episode. Again, if you liked the the new again, I'm just kind of playing around with this new format of potentially two segments. So if you have strong feelings either way, let let me know. Uh, But if you'd like to get in contact with me to continue this conversation or any other. Please follow me. You can find me on Facebook at J. Robert Kinney. It's the name I write fiction novels under. You can find my book, my two books on Amazon, Splintered State and Precipice. Also find me on Twitter. That's Justin R. Kinney. Please find me. Hit that follow button. Subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast too, whatever platform you're listening to this on. If you hit that subscribe button, that really helps me out. And give me a review as well. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, if you're interested in supporting me, supporting this podcast, or advertising on the podcast, uh, please get in contact with me because I would be happy to talk with you more about that possibility further if you have any thoughts about you know future topics for episodes please let me know I would love to talk with you about that I'd love to get some ideas for what you guys are interested in hearing about and maybe we can uh, work something out to get those those new topics into the rotation so with all of that said uh, I'm gonna go ahead and shut things down so this is nutshell politics my name is Justin Kenney and I am out in three two one <laughs>